Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. I'll try to direct. We'll then go to verse 9. Praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel when the people willingly offered themselves. Verse 9. And I, I'm continuing with the vein of what I've been in for last Sunday, this Sunday. And then we'll finish. Okay. My heart, verse 9, my heart is toward the governors of Israel that offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless ye the Lord. Verse 15. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, even Issachar, and also Barak. He was sent on foot into the valley. For the divisions of Reuben there were great thoughts of heart. Verse 16, why abodest thou among the sheepfolks to hear the bleedings of the flocks? For the divisions of Reuben there were great searchings of heart. Verse 17, Gilead abode beyond Jordan, and why did Dan remain in ships? Asher continued on the seashore and abode in his breaches. Verse 18, Zebulun and Naphtali were a people that jeoparded their lives into the death in the high places of the field. Verse 23, curse ye Miraz, say, said the angel of the Lord. Curse ye bitterly the inhabitants thereof, because they came not to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Starts out here, verses 2 and, and 9, just a few phrases concerning that the Lord's people, Israel, was avenged when the people willingly offered themselves unto the Lord. Speaks of another division, the tribe of Reuben, that they had great thoughts of heart. In another passage, it says they had great searchings of heart. And then the scripture points out some other of the tribes that just remained where their post or where they were already at remained with the ships or remained on the seashore but then there were other tribes that jeopardized or jeoparded their lives into the death there were some that just didn't even come to help the Bible says I want to minister here tonight answering the call answering the call hallelujah can we go to the Lord in prayer father we need you here this evening I pray, oh God, help us to be men and women, Lord, of this hour, men and women, God, of this generation. God, that when we hear, Lord Jesus, the call, that we will be eager and we will be ready, God, to answer. I pray, oh Lord, that you could count, Lord Jesus, on us and count us in, Lord, in the endeavor. Lord God, of this last age and last time, God, put, Lord, the load upon our shoulder and help us, God, to be proud, God, to bear it. I pray, oh God, we don't want to just have searchings of heart, Lord God, or God, just thoughts of heart but God we want to be involved Lord in our time in our church in our nation in our generation God in what you are doing I pray oh Lord today God help us Lord to give consideration Lord Jesus to our times and will not fail to thank you and praise you Lord Jesus for you what you accomplished Father in this place tonight Lord and we'll glorify your name for it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen of the church say amen Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Answering the call. Judges chapter number 5 is what has been known as the song of Deborah and Barak after they have received and wrought victory, if you will, for Israel after 20 years of oppression by a king, according to chapter 4, King Jabin and his captain that some may know tonight by the name of Sisera who has the uh, reputation of having 900, the Bible says, chariots of iron. Amen. All of these 20 years of oppression under King Jabin and the captain Sisera had preceded the debut of the lady Deborah and the man Barak that would come and wield, help wield, might I say, victory for the nation of Israel. However, they come forth victoriously by the end of chapter number four. They have been victorious in their endeavors. They are celebrating 
in chapter number 5 with their song of appreciation for the deliverance that the Lord has given them. Uh, there are strands of thanks for some and accompanying that are also strands of disapproval for others. Some are being appreciated for their help. There are others that had the ability to help, perhaps even the manpower to help, and yet there are some strands of disapproval that is lent their direction. Verse number two tells us that they, in their song of deliverance and appreciation, that we were to praise the Lord for the avenging of Israel. Notice the operative word there, when the people willingly offered them Sells. Verse 23 speaks of a curse that came upon the people of Miraz, said the angel of the Lord, curse ye bitterly the inhabitants thereof, because they came not to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Verse 2 plainly tells us tonight that the avenging of Israel happened. It took place whenever the people willingly offered themselves unto the Lord. If I could put it in terms for us today, that Israel was avenged when there were people that willingly volunteered. When there was people that willingly gave of themselves. For 20 years, this people, this nation... Israel had been through a time, this is the time of judges when they would be oppressed and the oppression would lift and they would live right, then they would live wrong and the oppression would come. For 20 years they had been under the oppression of these people. Their actions as a result of this, any time when they were in oppression, their actions were minimized by their foe. We read and sometimes through judges when they were oppressed by a foe that they took up housing and dens and and in caves, and they were greatly restricted. You'll remember the story of Gideon. He was even, the Bible says, threshing wheat by the wine press, which is literally in the wine press, threshing wheat in a very confined area that was not the place that one would normally thresh wheat. So all of their actions are minimized by the foe. Their voices have been silenced. Their voices have been muted by a crowd that, in essence, because of the oppression, a crowd that is basically telling them that you, you, you couldn't do anything, Israel. There's not anything that you can do at this moment in time. There's nothing that you can say to make a change or influence in your present condition. You're under years of oppression, and that's just the way it's going to be. And to add insult to injury, according to the history of Scripture, Israel as a nation had no standing army at this time. They, they had no organized army at this time. As a matter of fact, it is during this time that the nation of Israel, amen, there, there wasn't a shield that was found among them. The Bible tells us in chapter 5, there isn't a spear that is seen among a 40,000 that, that is in Israel. So they don't have an organized army. They don't have some weaponry that would be very important for them to, to, to wage a battle. Amen. All of these things seem to be non-existent at their time. Amen. No one wanted to fight uh, uh, for Israel or defend Israel but the Bible says when the people willingly gave of themselves when the people volunteered when they willingly offered themselves unto the Lord the Bible says Israel was avenged she didn't have an army she didn't have the proper weaponry nobody seemed to want to defend her or fight for her but when the people volunteered God said I can work with that and I can avenge my nation, my treasured people that I love and adore. I can work with a people that has a want to. I can work with a people that is willing to volunteer. The Bible tells us in chapter number 5 that 10,000 people from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun alone would join into this cause and answer the call of going to battle for the nation of Israel. Barak had made a call for help. He had asked, if you will, for some aid. And these 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun 
volunteered and willingly gave of themselves unto the Lord. The fighters, might I say tonight, that God avenged Israel with, by and large, may not have been professional fighters, may not have been, you know, well equipped in knowing how, you know, to fight the fight that they were about ready to engage in. If I could say it like this, they may have been non-professional, but they were non-professional volunteers that had an availability even if it didn't seem like they had the ability and God says I'll take their availability and I'll defeat and avenge Israel with somebody again that answered the call Amen. they answered the call because whenever the call was made they identified with the need for Israel that there is no reason why we should spend another year under oppression there is no reason why we should spend another day under the thumb of our oppressor 20 years has been long enough for that matter 20 years have been too long they identified with the need of them as a nation to get out from under the oppression of their adversary can someone say amen it is also very true in the New Testament that we see this kind of through the life of the Apostle Paul. He's coming down to Troas. The Bible tells us in Acts 16 concerning the Apostle Paul. He's on his, his, his missionary journeys. He's going here and there. He's, the Bible says he made every intention that he was going to go into Asia. But the Bible says that the Holy Ghost forbade him from going into Asia. And so when the Holy Ghost said no to Asia, he says, okay, I'll go over here to Bithynia, and I'll go into Bithynia. But the Bible then says, the Spirit prohibited him from going into Bithynia. And so the Bible says then, as a result of not being able to go to Asia or Bithynia, it says that he went on into Troas. Now look now, Acts 16 and verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him. He's crying out to Paul in this vision, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. So here's Paul. He sees a vision. It's a vision of the night. It is darkness. It is night. And the only thing that he can see is a man, a solitary man. He knows that he's from Macedonia. However, he derives that. He knows this man is from Macedonia. And the only thing he hears over and over in this vision is a man saying, come over and help us. And the Bible says in the very next verse, when Paul arises out of this vision, that Paul and Silas and Luke immediately endeavor to go to Macedonia. And the only thing that we ever hear in the vision is that there was just a call of a need, of a person, of a country, of a city, if you will, that needed some help. And immediately when Paul got up from his vision, he says, I don't have to have anything else. I've heard the call. I see the need we're on our way to Macedonia the Bible says in verse 10 assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel unto them you understand what I'm talking about? It wasn't like a full page, a man in the newspaper talking about a job opportunity. No, it was just a man that said, come over here. We need some help. And Paul says, wherever there's a need, that's where I want to put myself. That's where I want to put my resources. That's what I want. Someone say amen. We never see and we don't see that God per se ever said anything to him about going to Europe or going to England. Amen. America wasn't even discovered then. Amen. Going to America. No. It was just Paul seeing just a man in a vision of Macedonia saying help us. And Paul knew. He said there's a need there and it was the need that was the call for Paul's life. It wasn't some grand invitation. Just two words. Help us. Help us. Help us. Paul said there's a need and that need is the call for me to get involved and volunteer he set his face westward instead of eastward and the Bible says he went he answered the call sometimes it don't come in the clouds crackling and the lightning flashing sometimes it's just two words helping sometimes it's just a need the old animation film, I'm sorry for this, uh, this, but robots, if anybody's seen that little animation, he said, you see a need, you feel a need. I believe that's the way Paul felt. 
I heard a need, I seen a need. I'm going to feel the need. Holy Ghost didn't want me to go to Asia for a reason. Holy Ghost didn't want me at this time to go to the Bithynia for a reason. It wanted me to be right here. So in a vision, I could see a man from Macedonia that needs some help. Why would I ignore a man that's in need? Why, why would I ignore something that is gravitating, amen, that's asking me to come toward it, asking me to help it? Why would I ignore a need? Someone say amen. And he answered the call. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 17, a story that many may be familiar with. David and Goliath, it's that grand story that unfolds in 1 Samuel 17. David, in obedience to his father, finds himself in a desperate place. Amen. A desperate need that evolves in a desperate place. In obedience to his father, he takes some corn and some bread and some cheese. Amen. Like we used to say, I say it sometimes, he took crackers and cheese. Amen. Down to his brothers. And he's going to go and check on them and how they are doing. And the others of the Israelites that's in the valley or in, the, in that place of the mountains in the valley of Elah. They are set in array against the Philistines. They have been fighting for 40 days. They have been setting more so than fighting for 40 days. Each army has been compassing their mountain for that number of days. While Goliath comes out at his appointed time and he comes forth and disdains and defies and taunts the children of Israel and their God. And David happens to be present on one of those times that the Philistines grand champion Goliath comes out and does these things of disdaining and defying the God of Israel. And it's during one of these episodes, amen, that David is stirred by what he hears. There's been an army there for 40 days. They've heard it for 40 days. David shows up one day with provision. He hears it once and something stirs inside of David. Amen. Something just kind of moves over in his mind and in his spirit when he hears what Goliath is saying. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 17 and verse 28, and Eliab, his eldest brother, David's eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? He's already trying to discount David's already secure position of being the shepherd of the family. He says, Where have you left those few sheep in the wilderness. I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thy heart for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. So Eliab his eldest brother asked him why are you here? If I could say it like this, David aren't you supposed to be doing something else? Whenever they called for the warriors and those that were to fight I don't remember your name being on the list wasn't you left at home? To watch just a few old sheep over there. So why in the world are you here? Don't you have a menial task to see to? Because we're the warriors. We're the fighters. Uh, we're the ones that they called on to be here. Amen. David was there because his father asked him to go there. Asked him to go there and check on his brethren. Check on the war. Can I say as just a little side note here tonight. That you'll meet the opposition of the brethren. When your father places you where they are. And you begin to feel a call to answer the need that they've not yet addressed. They used to tell me years ago that there's none of us that, 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 that cannot be dispensed, meaning that God can always bring another person up in your stead. God can always bring another person up, amen, to do and to function and to thrive, amen, in the area. Here are these guys. They've been there for 40 days. No one, every time Goliath comes out, they all cower and they run away and they tuck themselves away. But there's a real need here. There's a real giant that is defying the armies of God, that's defying God himself. Himself. Amen. They're not doing anything about it. They're just holding, if you will, their same rank, their same course, day in, day night. Amen. Morning and evening. When he comes out, they hear it, but nobody raises a sword. Nobody charges out to the valley. But whenever David shows up, he said, you go down and check on them. And the first time he hears anything about the need, David says, you count me in. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? 
real problem that Eliab, his eldest brother, had with David is that David was willing to do something about. He wasn't willing to do anything about. He was willing to answer the call when Eliab wasn't. Amen. And so with that comes Eliab belittling his brother. Huh? Belittling his brother. Starting to misinterpret, if you will, David's purpose for being where he was or involved in the way that he wanted to be involved. Eliab is no doubt doing this because he's been there 40 days. He hides when Goliath comes out, as the rest of the army. He hides, but David's willing to be bold. David hears the exact same things, but in his spirit, it connects that there's a need. And he says, though I may be young, though I may be a shepherd, though I may play a harp in my pastime and write poetry and songs, that doesn't keep me from knowing what a need sounds like. Oh, yeah. He says, because I'm quite acquainted with whenever I hear a need. I've heard the bleeding of a sheep that's in harm. Might not have saw it, but I've heard it and went and fought a lion and a bear. I know what it sounds like to hear a need, and I'm eager and ready, no matter the cost, no matter the sacrifice, to answer the call. Amen. Going to answer it. Going to answer the call. But Eliab, he has to downplay David. Has to misinterpret his purpose. Why are you? Why are you even here? Don't don't you? Who who did you leave those few sheep with? That is in the wilderness. Can I say that in this church and in the church overall, the church of the the living God, that God is going to raise up some Davids in the generations leading up to His coming. God is going to raise up some Davids and He's going to send them into some areas, if you will, of inactivity, where other people are but of inactivity for the purpose that they'll go in there and they'll have an ear that is tuned in to the same call, but they'll recognize it as a need and they'll be sensitive to the need, to the place that they will react to and respond to the need. Someone say amen. Eliab says, you've come down to see the battle. You've come down to see the battle, David. You come just to spy it out, grab your bag of popcorn, and be entertained by what's going on. You've come down. you got your crackers and cheese and your popcorn. you come down to see the battle just to spy what is going on. you come down to see it. But we read later in verse number 32 that whenever David is standing before King Saul, we hear the true story from David's own lips. He says, King, he says, I want to fight in the battle. The eldest brother said, you just want to see it? David said, no, Saul, I want to fight in the battle. I'm not just come to be a spectator. I'm not just come to sit along the sidelines and see how it all plays out. I've come to be involved. I want to fight. I want to, oh yeah. Listen, listen, folks. According to the row of his day, amen, he was not in the place, the position, the age, whatever it may be. Maybe because he was already watching sheep, it was not left to him along with his brothers to be called to the battlefield. Or he would have went. If his name was called, he would have went. He wasn't called to it. Amen. Though he didn't have an official call, there was a call that came in the need. And whenever David heard the need, he says, I'm going to answer the call. Some would say Amen. <laughs> you come to see the battle. No, I've come to fight the battle. Why? He wants to fight the battle because the circumstances surrounding that scenario was nothing more but a desperate need. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 17 and verse 29, look at this now. And David said, you all have read these verses of Scripture. Taught him, preached him. What have I now done? Is there not a cause? In other words, is it such a big thing to want to fight for your people and your God? What have I done? Well, what are you going to pin on me? Is there not a cause? I'm here because I followed the orders of my father. I'm here. 
I'm here because I followed the orders of my father to come down here. And if you will, the only thing that dad's orders really did was position me to be exposed to a need. He said, go down there and check it all out. And here I am checking it all out. And while I've been here, I've heard a need. And because of the desire, of, based upon my own volition, I, I want to answer the call of the need that I've heard. Eliab's aware of the need. The others in the army are aware of the need. They're even suited up as soldiers to meet the need. Hear me? But they failed in answering the call of the real need. David says, I'm ready. I'm eager. I want to. Folks, we're thankful like in our Judges 4 and our Judges 5. We're thankful. Amen. Of the song of deliverance like Deborah and Barak. For the ones who willingly offer themselves unto the Lord. Those that volunteer of themselves in whatever way, amen, that they have a capacity for or can. We praise God for the people like Paul, the Apostle Paul, and David, who's seen and at times and scenarios can even sense, if you will, a need for help. And they go out just based upon the need itself and they answer the call. But that's not always the case for everybody. Sometimes there's the Elias. Bible says in Philippians 2 and verse 19, it says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Here the Apostle Paul speaking of course of Timothy. He says, I'm glad to know that you're going to be coming. You have a like mind like I have. You're going to care for their natural state because you care for them. Uh, you're not in this for, for limelight. You're not in this for glory. You're not in this for notoriety. You're not in this for any of those things. Uh, you're in this because of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're doing this, amen, as we spoke this morning. We're doing it. You're doing it as unto the Lord. You're doing it as glory unto his name. You're, you're going to naturally care for them because it's just naturally flowing from you that when you see a need, you answer the call for the need. Hallelujah. No one's, no one's bending your, your finger over backwards. No one's pushing on you or forcing you, but you're just naturally caring. Amen. Such was the case of the tribes. Amen. Of some of the tribes. Amen. That it was hard or difficult for of Reuben and Gilead. Amen. Referring, when it speaks of Gilead, it's referring to Gad and the east tribe of Manasseh. Remember, Manasseh is cut in half. One on one side of the Jordan. Half of them on the other side of Jordan. And a tribe by the name of Asher in the village of Meraz. In the song, Judges 5, of Deborah and Barak, there were six loyal tribes that are praised for their diligence and willingly giving of themselves to the purpose of the Lord. And then there were four, amen, that were taunted. There were four, amen, that were spoken of as being absent when they were needed. Amen. They did not join in the battle, though they had opportunity, like the other six tribes, to be a part of the battle. But they did not join. The Bible says the divisions or the tribes of Reuben had great thoughts of heart. They had great searching of heart. But that did not materialize into any aid. That did not materialize into any help. They thought about it. They considered it. Let's put it into modern day terms. They had good intentions. But it never materialized into any aid. Never materialized into any help. Reuben, if you will, pondered the call. But he did not heed to the call. He seen the need and heard it as the other tribes. But he never put one foot in front of another to help or aid in any way. Amen. Some though, others that heard the very same thing that, that Reuben had heard and the tribe of Reuben had heard. Some though, the Bible portrays as though they immediately volunteered. They immediately gave of themselves. They immediately followed the Lord. Amen. They, they, there's some that's given a consideration. There's some that's having good intentions. But while these 
these are thinking about it, these over here are going. While these are considered, these over here are already there. Hallelujah. While these are saying, well, give me a few days to think about it. These over here are saying, yes, we'll be a part of it. Amen. Because I understand there's a need and wrapped up in that need is the call for me to be a part. Go, conquer, forward. Someone say amen. Can I tell you today, if it involves the house of God, if it involves the church, if it involves the Lord, amen, really what much consideration has to be given. I mean, this is years ago, and this just happened recently, and uh, we might have to delete some of this. I don't know, Brother Alex. We'll just see. Amen. You know, you, you know, years ago, and there's nothing wrong with this. I, I believe in what I teach our people around here. You've heard it before. In all my ways, acknowledge the Lord, and he will direct thy paths. So I'm confident, Sister Malin, that if we will acknowledge God, I believe about praying about decisions, all that. But if you acknowledge the Lord with your life day in and day out, that the decisions you make will be ordered steps if you acknowledge him. I believe, oh, and then you'll pray what type of car I'm going to get. You know, that's fine and dandy. But if you live a life of acknowledging him, when the moment comes it's time to buy a vehicle and you're acknowledging him with your life, he's going to direct you. That's his word. All right, that's his word. Sometimes we think these things concerning God. Used to years ago, you know, people get a call to, to preach or go minister somewhere. It's like, will you give me five days to pray and fast about it? You know, that's fine. But you're going to go herald the gospel. You're going to go herald the word of the Lord. You're going to go preach. Probably lost people are going to be sitting there. I mean, to me, it's almost a no-brainer. I've come to experience now. I've lived this long enough, preached long enough, all that. If someone calls me to preach, you know what I say? If, if it's all right with our schedule, I'll say I'll be there. Why? Because I try to acknowledge the Lord with my life. And I figure if he opens up this door of a need, then I need to walk through it. <clears throat> this is where we made to edit. I just called somebody this week. We're going to edit this. Not me. We will. I just called somebody this week. He meant about ministering. That's something that I'm putting together and having on not here at the church. And they asked me, they said, well, do you mind if I pray about it for a couple of days? I'm fine with that. Go on and pray about it. But I'm just like, man, this is God's work. You know, in the back of my mind, this is God's work. You're going to be, you're going to be preaching to people that have needs. You know, you know, he's wanting to use you as a vessel. Right, Sister Grace, I'm just telling you where I'm at, okay? And I'm just like, this is the Lord's word. There's a need. The call's within the need. Amen. And, and, and I felt in the Holy Ghost at the beginning, at the close to the end of this year, I always pray every year whenever this comes around about who I'm supposed to get, so on and so forth. And that name was impressed on my heart. They accepted, by the way, in a couple of days. But what I'm saying is this. The need is the call. All those other tribes, man, this was God's people for 20 years that's been under oppression. This is a giant that's been defined the name of God. Honey, you don't have to say anything else to me. They're defined my God. Count me in. Maybe I think, you know, a little bit different from other folks, but whatever I mean. It's like, ah, there's the need. Bishop Wilson told us years ago was evangelist. He says, if someone comes ask you to preach, he said, you go. He said, I don't care. You got to drive out of your way hundreds of miles. He said, you got to spend a sleepless night to get there. He says, you do it. I remember. And so I've been living that life ever since. Amen. Hallelujah. So there's these. Some immediately volunteered. Some had to give a consideration. Reuben had great thoughts of heart. The Bible says, although he had great thoughts of heart, he was contented to sit among the sheep folds. Now, Reuben, what makes, you, what makes you any better than the David that left the sheep folds with someone for a moment to follow the Father's orders to go to the valley and hear a need? Reuben has his sheep folds. Look, look at it in, in Judges chapter number 5. All these people could give their reasoning, right? Reuben, I got sheep folds, Right? Dan, I've got ships to attend to. Huh? Asher, I got my havens and arbors along the shore. I need to keep the trash off of them and stuff. Make sure they're, they're presentable. The landings, you know, where the ship, I, I got that to attend to. We all have some ship or sheepfold or shore. For me, you know, like this month. We've been to Ohio. We're going to go to Warsaw. We've been to Muncie. I can tell them, I got a first apostolic church to attend to around here, brother. 
But God taught me a long time ago that if I'll take care of what he wants me to take care of, he'll take care of this place. And, and, and so, you know, I got sheep boats and I got, I got ships and I got havens and you all have ships and havens and landing. Now you could say, you know, not right now, God. But we all got them. And it comes to the, mo- the point of the matter, if there's a need, if it concerns the kingdom, it, it, if you give yourself to that, he'll take care of your ship and he'll take care of your sheep and he'll take care of your landings. Our good friends, brother and sister Reinhardt, they are, they, are, they are both bivocational, if I can say it like that. They both have jobs. Brother and sister Reinhardt both have jobs. He, were, he, he, he works at the post office, has worked there, I think, for 35 years. For a long time, carrying mail. She works uh, for like a fire sprinkler type of, of business in the office. She is women's, National Women's Esprit president. She travels, you know, only, almost based upon us, travels all the time just in these prisons, here, here, and yon. She does, she, she does stuff over in the foreign countries for Princess Within Conference. Just got back from Germany. And a pastor and pastor's wife, they pastor a church. They did have a daughter church in Eaglewood. They pastor two churches. He works full time. He preaches at his church. He is the, the, the district superintendent over the state of Ohio. He is the secretary of the national ministry department. She has choir practice at Dayton Prison throughout the week weekly. They go to their own personal prison in Dayton and Maryville often. They have four daughters. One's married. The other three are still, well, two at home. One still lives in the same city that they do. And she told us, we're doing all this traveling too. You know, we got kids and all this stuff. She says, you know what God told me a long time ago concerning my kids? That if I do his work, he'd take care of my kids. She got in jail because of Whitney going astray anyway. And that whole scenario. Now Whitney's a part of the prison ministry team, as a matter of fact, just recently become the prison director in the state of Ohio. Her daughter, her oldest daughter is married to a husband. They go to a church in Zanesville, Ohio. They are the youth pastors there and function in that capacity. Fallon is just uh, her senior year. She does the P7 uh, uh, groups in her high school for those that, you know, it's a religious group by the UPC and the Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ, spreading the gospel in that nature, does tremendous job singing and so on and so forth. All of the kids are taken care of. And I've asked him sometimes, because Brother Reinhardt has used all of his vacation, every bit of it, he's used it, all, most of it, if it's according to my knowledge, everything on going these prisons. Have be at conference because he's, you know, a dictate there. Has be meetings on a national level because since he's a district superintendent in Memphis at least twice a year for a planning session. And you will never hear a complaint from their mouth. They are excited just to be doing the work of the Lord and be a part, be a small part as they would put it, and just do the work of the Lord. And when they can, they take all their kids with them anywhere they go. They're over deluge. That happens in April for ministries and pastors. They put that on. That's usually for three to four days in the month of April. They're there. Is everybody okay? Man, I didn't mean to hit, hit a rock, but what I'm saying is this. Everybody could say they have their ship. Everybody could say they have their shore or they have their sheep boats. You say, these people are crazy. No, it's just that they hear a need. And they're just trying to answer a call. What in the world have you been doing? That's just rhetorical. But what in the world have you been doing? I had a little friend of mine, Samuel Vaughn. He's a young man. He's just released a book. He's young. He's just out of college not that long ago. Uh, He just wrote a book, released a book. So proud of him and and such. And he had something up the other day that's something I oftentimes think about, so it just kind of resonated with me. He's talking about how old he was and how about half, you know, according to Scripture, 70 years, maybe 80, you know, if the Bible says so in the book of Psalms, about, you know, getting close to half his life being over, and he's asking, have I done anything with my life? That's something I think about all the time, Sister Mike. As I get older, there are days I think about over half my life is over, according to Scripture. Have I really done anything to make an impact in the kingdom? Someone might be looking at me, Brother McGee, you preach, you did that. Still, I still ask myself, is, is, have, I, have I done enough? Have I made enough impact in the kingdom? 
So we need, as we're coming to the close of the year, we need to ask ourselves, what, what have we been doing concerning your lives? Well, some of you are over that halfway mark. And ask yourself, have I done anything? What, what have I done in the kingdom? What, what have I done? Have I went and volunteered when I heard the need? Have I answered the call? Give it consideration today. Because there's always going to be another ship. There's always going to be another shore. But we only pass through on this earth once. And everything else that I touch in life besides people are just temporal. There's only one eternal. And that's him and the things of the Lord. And so Reuben had great thoughts of heart. Sorry about that little tangent there, but it was all still yet a part of this. Reuben had great thoughts of heart, but he was content just to sit among the sheep boats. They all had something. Those tribes that were on the east of Jordan, it were those ones that pled with Moses. Moses, give us this land over here. You remember that? And Moses made the plea. He talked to God about it. They had a conversation about it. Hey, man, they said, that's okay. You guys can stay. You, those two and a half tribes can stay on the other side of Jordan. That's fine. On one condition. This is the word of the Lord. Here's the condition. That you go over into the land of promise. You help us fight the battles. Win the warfare. For them having their lots of land and their people. And whenever there is war, that you all would agree that you would come over and help fight. We need it. Come cross the Jordan. Come and fight with us because we're all the nation of Israel. But here they are needing some brethren to fight with them. We have these two and a half tribes, as it would seem, on the other side of Jordan. They're content to be on their side and uninvolved. Not to come over and fight, not with as far as toward their brethren, but link arm to arm with them. It's notable tonight. I think according to scripture, it's notable. It's notable that after this period of time in Judges 4 and 5 with Deborah and Barak and the overthrowing of Jabin and the captain Sisera, it's notable after this period, all four tribes, such as Reuben and those that, those that had their sheep folds and their ships and their shorelines, all four tribes never made a significant contribution to the cause of the Lord. Asher virtually, from the scripture, Vanishes except for a little brief involvement with Gideon. Which is Judges what? Chapter 6 and 7. Dan falls into apostasy. He totally departs from the things of God. Two and a half tribes east of the Jordan that said let us settle right here. This is good for you know our cattle. Those two and a half tribes east of the Jordan were overrun in the history of scripture repeatedly. They lived for themselves. They refused to risk what they had. And as a result, more than once, they lost everything. Somebody hear me? In verse number 23 of our Judges 5, the Bible says the angel of the Lord cursed Miraz. Didn't curse Deborah. Didn't curse Barak. But it cursed Miraz because the inhabitants, this isn't the scripture saying this, the inhabitants came not to the help. Notice the verbiage here. The inhabitants came not to the help of the Lord. Reuben was far away. Gilead was far away. I mean, I'm talking about location. I'm talking about literal geography. They were far away. Dan was far away. However, this is not true of Asher who was likewise absent. He was closer than they were. See, some could not just be their ships and their sheep boats. It's like, you know, that's kind of like, that's quite a, that's a stretch for me. That's a stretch for me. They're far away. But Asher, even who it wasn't, quote, unquote, a stretch for, didn't show up. Miraz was considered even near the field of battle where the fighting was taking place. You know what that means? Listen to me here just for a moment. That possibly means this, that at some stage in the conflict and in the battle, Sister Grace, that they very possibly could have been within sight and hearing of the battle and the strife that was taking place on the battlefield. But even that wasn't enough of a call of a need for them to come and address it. The Bible says, now if... When Zebulun, the Bible, Zebulun and Naphtali jeopardized their lives unto the death. 
Naphtali upon the high places of the field. They turned a deaf ear as, as Reuben turned a deaf ear did, a cold heart as Dan did. But the Bible says Zebulun and Naphtali jeopardized their lives unto death because of the need. Amen. Perhaps that explains a little bit of the fierce words of the song. Amen. Because they were, you know, given appreciation, if you will, giving some praise, if you will, for those that willingly gave of themselves unto the Lord. But on the same measure, spoke with a little bit of curtness, if you will, for those that did not because they, some of them were even closer than what Naphtali and Zebulun was and they could hear the chaos on the field but that wasn't enough in order for them to stand up and answer the call of the need that was there. Someone say amen. Maybe some's voice says, well, Brother McGee, I just really don't want to hinder. You know, I, don't, I don't want to, you know, or, you know, just you know, I don't really want to hinder. I don't want you to hinder either. But you could be placed in such a way that you don't hinder, but you can also help. But not to want to hinder and to completely not help. And that's a whole nother monkey, isn't it? The Bible says that the inhabitants came not to the help of the Lord. See, this wasn't about just helping the nation of Israel. No, 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 no. It's that as they helped Israel, they were coming to the aid of the Lord because that's his people. That's his treasure box. And so when they refuse to help their people, they refuse to help the Lord. And those that accepted the call to the need, they accepted the call to the assisting of the Lord. The Bible says in Nehemiah 11, 1 and 2, I've preached on these verses or interwove them in some sermons here just in the recent days. The Bible says, And the rulers of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people also cast lots to bring one of ten to dwell in Jerusalem. I think I, I touched on this scripture when we had our overflow rally. Amen. To bring one of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine parts to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men that willingly, there's that phraseology again, willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. The, 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 the place of the temple in Jerusalem the, the temple was in existence again. It had been in rubbish and, and ruins. The city wall has been rebuilt again in the book of Nehemiah. The gates are being set up on their hinges again. But we have a problem. Nehemiah had a fine established and they had a fine established temple and well defended city and walls and operable of times of worship again. But they didn't have a people on the inside the walls and so chapter 11 comes forth and you can start at verse 4 of chapter 11 and read all the way down to verse 24 and what we have there you're going to get bored out of your gourd as you read the list and the list and the list of names and names and names and families who volunteered I want to underscore who volunteered to move back into the city of Jerusalem Nehemiah as the governor of the area he made a simple decree one out of every ten people living in the suburbs, you're going to move to Jerusalem. And so he went through the towns and he numbered the people. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, counting them off by tens. And they would cast lots among the ten and whoever the lot fell to, that family could move back into Jerusalem. But it was up to them. You can go. You could either receive it or reject it. A lot would fall to another man of the ten. You could go back to Jerusalem. You could accept it or reject it. So a man's chosen and he had to decide, am I going to move? We got a temple. We got a well-protected city. But they need people. That sounds like a need. They need somebody to trample the floor of the temple. They need some worshipers in the temple. They need some officers in the temple. I got a right. I got an opportunity to accept the call. Or reject the call. Someone say amen. 
Therefore, verse number two describes them. The praise given to those of Nehemiah 1 and verse number two. It describes the praise given to those who willingly offered themselves by accepting the casting of the law. In other words, whenever it said you and your family can go, they said that sounds like a need enough for me. I'm going to answer the call. I'm going to answer the need. Nehemiah needed some people that would attach themselves back to the city of Jerusalem. Might I say even more so, back to the city of God back to the city of God he didn't want them living on the fringe of it he wanted them to associate their lives with it where they ate where they slept where they lived where the concourses of their children would walk he wanted them to be a part and whatever they said that's a great enough need for me I'll answer the call they showed up on the opposite side of the walls because the need the need was the call and they answered it someone say amen Oh, I've been preaching for a while, haven't I? Hallelujah. Stand with me and we'll bring this to it. Answering the call. Answering the call. Answering the call. It's the, it's the Isaiah's that are saying, Here, my Lord, send me. It's the Isaiah's that hearing the need and saying, Here, my Lord, send me. The Apostle Paul's that's hearing the man cry, come over and help us. And we're saying that immediately they go. He even gathers together Silas and Luke along with him. Let's go, boys. You know, they've been traveling together anyway. It's like, Paul, do we have to say so? No matter, no, we're going. We've been traveling together. We're going. That's where the call's coming from. That's where the need is. We're going. Can we bow our heads all over this place? I want to share with you a story I've undoubtedly over the years have shared with you before. As you have your eyes closed, your head bows, I just want you to concentrate on my voice and what's being said at this moment in time. And Brother Mason, if you want to play softly, that would be fine. Talking about answering, answering the call tonight. It goes like this, that it happened in a small Midwest town, rural area. A music teacher had a young student brought in for the first lesson by a hopeful parent. By the second lesson, the old music teacher was pretty sure by the third and fourth lesson, all his hesitation was gone, and it was indeed a fact. The music teacher was aware that he had a prodigy on his hands. The young man was a rare talent that only comes along once in a lifetime, if even that. The old teacher was wise enough to see it and appreciate what he had to work with. He determined he would give it his best. He would pass on the prodigy to those who would continue his education, eventually finish the training of this talented young man. The first years of the young man's life was carefully nurtured by the wise old music teacher. The teacher saw and knew even more than the student the potential that was in his young student. Finally, the day came for the young man to move on and accept scholarships at prestigious schools. The old teacher followed his now famous student at his career became the stage of the world at a very early age the student was world famous he had now played all the major venues of the world he had played at london and paris and venice and berlin and moscow and amsterdam the entire european theater had been played to sold out crowds then came the american tour new york madison square garden chicago carnegie hall washington dc los angeles and seattle his fame now literally reached around the globe a tour to the far east was now the next stop tokyo singapore seoul and beijing beijing the musician then decided he wanted to do a concert in his hometown he wanted to recognize the humble beginnings of his childhood so the arrangements were made an auditorium was arranged in a small community he claimed as his home the night was set he walked out on the stage to a crowded auditorium and just a grand piano on the stage. The applause was loud as he made his debut. As he smiled and looked around, he looked in the balcony and there was only one person there. Although his hair was white with age, the musician recognized the person to be his old teacher. Joy filled his heart as he noticed this and decided tonight would be his finest performance. He played that night like a man possessed. When he finished, he received a standing ovation from the crowd. However, when he lifted his eyes to the man in the balcony, there was no response. The old teacher just sat there with his arms folded, and the musician frowned. The musician made a decision. He wanted the old teacher's approval. So he decided he would play it again and do an even better job. He announced to the crowd that it was unusual, but he was going to play it again. They were ecstatic. They cheered. This time there was no doubt. He knew he had not played it any better anywhere in the world. He was tired. Sweat ran down his face. As he stood, the crowd was ecstatic. Once again, cheering, whistling, clapping, filled the auditorium. When he lifted his eyes, he couldn't believe it. The old teacher, 
still sat unmoved with his arms folded. There was this world-famous musician playing in the backwater area in a rural setting took a deep breath and announced he was going to play it one more time. Silence filled the auditorium. They could not believe what they were hearing. He walked to the piano, sat down. He began to play. This time there was nothing in the world but him and his instrument. He became one with that piano. The crowd was forgotten. He was lost and pouring himself completely into a lifetime of effort and practice. He barely noticed when he finished. He sat limp on the piano bench. He was drenched with sweat. He stood on shaky legs and bowed to the audience. He could not give, they could not give enough cheers and shouts and whistles before he lifted his head to see his old teacher and see what he would do. He looked inside himself. He knew he could not play it better. And given everything he had was the best performance of his life. As he lifted his eyes, he saw all the old teachers smile. Then the old teacher stood and began to clap his hands in acknowledgement of the best performance his prodigy had ever given. Now, the crowd could not tell a difference between a good performance and a great performance and the performance of a lifetime. But the man in the balcony, he could tell the difference. He knew there was something in the young man that had never been tapped, that had never been challenged till that point. And so tonight I say to you to answer the call, because God knows if we have more to give than what we've given up to this point of time. And it's not the applause, and it's not the cheers of the crowd, because they will applaud and they will cheer. That determines a great performance. But if you will, it's the man that's in the balcony. It's the man that knows us inwardly and outwardly. It's the man that knows our uprising and our downsitting and our thought of our off. It's that man. It, it's not your peers. It's not a church congregation. It's not a conference floor. It's not the cheers and the applause from there. No, it's the man in the balcony. I remember years ago we were preaching at a church. I'd preached there a thousand times, it would seem like. Went there quite regularly to preach. Got done preaching. I preached my heart out till my socks were wet, as I tried to do every time. Whenever it was done, man, it was just like, oh, it was just horrific. It was, and I'm not saying this in a negative way, but Brother Zach, there was not the cheering. And there was not the applause. And there was not none of that. And there's days like that. There's weeks like that. And I remember praying in that altar area when everything just seemed so sublime. I remember God speaking to me. And he said this. He said, the earth may not be applauding. He said, but heaven is. He said, so keep it up. It doesn't come to come around to please and share and Margaret, although I want to be, you know, thought well of in y'all's eyes. But it's all about what the man in the balcony thinks. With our lives, how we serve, how we answer calls, it's all about what the man in the balcony, so to speak, thinks. It's all about what God's, God's concept, because he knows if you have more to give than you're giving. He knows if we're giving him all or we're just holding back. He knows if we're putting our best effort in or if we're being kind of nonchalant and lazy with our approach. God knows. God knows. The man in the balcony knows. He knows our ability even better than we do. He knows your potential even better than you do. We can never fool the man in the balcony. These altars are open like, will somebody answer a call? It could be a need that's just arising. Could somebody answer a call? Could somebody just put an agreement in their spirit tonight? I'm going to tune my ear in. I'm going to tune my ear in. I'm going to let my eyes be open. I got ships and I got, I got sheepfolds and I got shorelines. But, but if there comes the call of a need, I want to answer the call. Because when I go, it's not just to the aid of the First Apostolic Church. And it's not just the aid of the body of Christ that I'm a member of. But it's to the aid of heaven. They came and they aided. They either aided or they did not aid the Lord. They came and they aided the Lord. Those that heard the call reacted to the call. It's a song of deliverance for them all. It's a song of celebration for them all. Hallelujah. There are calls going forth in this hour, folks, and I, I perceive that they're going to become more regular and more consistent as the coming of the Lord comes because there's going to be greater needs and time is going to come short and we're going to have more needs to fulfill before this thing wraps up. And so that means people answering calls. People answering calls at their level of ability and gifting that God has placed in their life. Oh, will you today answer the call? Will you answer the call? Hallelujah. God will take care of your sheep. God will take care of, of, of your ships. And God will take care of all these things. If you'll attend to the things of the Lord, he will. 
Oh God, let your spirit, Lord, let your spirit pour in over our lives right now. Let your spirit pour in, oh Lord, over our lives right now. Help us to be encouraged. Help us to be a David that goes, Lord, where our Father sends us. And while we're there, we listen. While we're there, we, we, we take in and we survey, Lord. God, our eyes are wide open, Lord Jesus. We adhere, Lord God, to the prompting, God, of your Spirit. Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Answer the call, sir. Answer the call, ma'am. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.